From Washington, I'm Amanda Icone. This is Talking Tax. Christina Ho calls herself a data nerd, and her interest in the topic is clear. She has talked about data and technology in just about every speech and public statement she's given since joining the U.S. Audit Board a year ago. She's described the tech evolution that is reinventing how auditors vet corporate accounting as the audit quality challenge of the 21st century. Ho was appointed to the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board as part of a leadership overhaul at the regulator. As a quick recap, Congress created the Audit Board to restore investor trust in corporate accounting after scandals led to the collapse of Enron and WorldCom, along with their auditor, Arthur Anderson. Fast forward 20 years, and the board is still hard at work ensuring that auditors follow basic standards. Ho joined the most diverse board in PCAOB history. The board includes three women, three racially diverse members, and its members represent a wide range of professional experiences. Ho herself started her career as an IT auditor. She later was a big four auditor and eventually made her way to Treasury, where she oversaw financial reporting for the federal government and led a massive data transparency project to publish federal agency spending online. We wanted to know more about her career and how those experiences are shaping her efforts at the PCAOB. You held a a number of roles as an IT auditor early on. Tell us about that work and maybe first start off with defining for our financial accounting listeners what exactly an IT auditor does. I want to say what I'm talking about today is going to be reflecting my own view and it does not represent the view of my fellow board members or the PCAOB staff. So essentially what IT auditors do are really focus on looking at the internal controls of IT. So that involves um, security, change control. Uh, if, if you want to, you, I would use the analogy of a house, for example. If you want to look at the security of the house, first you have a door. Um, that would be the network. And then when you go into the house, um, there may be bedroom doors. And that would be like an operating systems um, kind of, uh, you want to be for that to be secure. And then you may have a save inside the bedroom and that would, that where you store all your valuables. And, um, so that would be like even deeper layer of security. So that's kind of how I think about, um, you know, I can explain the security of the information technology. Although today we are on cloud. So it's, a lot different from, you know, when I started doing IT audit, there's a, a whole different layers of IT security now. Um, so that's the easiest way for me to explain. And the purpose of, of the work was to ensure the integrity of the system, not necessarily for the purposes of the external audit, right? But external auditors want to know about the security and integrity of these networks as well, right? Yes. So as part of, um, because of Sarbanes-Oxley, auditors have to attest to the internal controls of a public company. 
And even before then, uh, external auditors would assess internal controls, which would include the systems that the support the financial transaction. But at that time, auditors didn't have to render a specific opinion on internal control. Because of Sarbanes-Oxley, all the issuers over certain size have to have an audit opinion on their internal controls. And IT control is a big part of it because all the pretty much financial transactions are all either initiated, processed, and recorded, all that in a system. Uh, you you worked at Deloitte for a while, and your your LinkedIn page you describe that you you worked on the the largest restatement audit in U.S. history um, during that time. I wondered who which company was that? Was that Fannie Mae? Was that another company? Who who was it? Yes, it was Fannie Mae, and um, I don't you know I don't know if you recall. So, um, uh, Fannie Mae had to restate over six billion of their earning. And that actually, um, at the time, and I think still the largest restatement. How did those early experiences shape your future career directory after that? I mean, um, your IT work, your um, experience on that Fannie Mae audit, and I wonder how those early experiences sh- shaped your choices thereafter. I mean, how did that affect, um, you know, the re- the rest of your career and how, and how you ended up at the PCAOB? Yeah. So I. Um, I think that aside from, you know, improving my technical skills and also a lot of the leadership skill that I had at the firm, um, I think most importantly, uh, especially the, the Fannie Mae audit, it also, um, helped me understand the impact of, um, something like that, the scale it could have, uh, in terms of people's lives and, uh, both employees and investors. I actually left that audit to go to Treasury at that time. And that really started my public sector career. And I, I've i never looked back because I found that um, all the things that I was doing, I could see uh, how my work directly impact people, communities, government and uh, in the country. And I wonder, you know, what types of technology are really relevant in an audit today? I mean, does it, you mentioned cloud earlier, does it matter if the data is stored on a cloud versus an on-prem server? Does it matter that blockchain is potentially years away from really altering how accountants do their, their work every day? You know, what, what, are, what are some of the technologies that you see out there that are really relevant to, today that are today affecting how auditors do their work? Yeah, I think that um, the first area, I think, is the AI and, and machine learning space. Um, people think that it's like far out, but it's actually every day in our lives. Like, you know, we all have an Alexa. That's a, a AI already. Um, and, and, but more, you know, from a business perspective, there are, there are more and more business operations that have, that use like robotic processing automation. That's like the, the most, you know, sort of the lowest level of AI and, and machine learning. For example, also in the audit space, uh, I know that, you know, some firms are thinking about using 
AI to review contracts, for example, for efficiency purpose to identify. And I know, like when I was at Treasury, um, GSA was going through that before procurement purpose because you know these contracts are so long, so it just saves um time to read that. So so those are being utilize these technology so when when somebody audit that like how do they document um you know the evidence of that audit right that that right away has implication and i also think that for regulators it's important for us to get ahead so we could set standard for you know one to make sure that they can be standardized because then if you wait Till everybody do things differently, it would be very hard to to standardize. Also, secondly, if we have standard, then we give uh, there's more innovation that can happen, and then it provide more access to smaller companies, smaller firms to to be able to do that. Otherwise, I I could see a time when you know when everything becomes if the requirement is to do a digital audit at some point. The, the small firms could be left behind because they just don't have that kind of resources and have not made that kind of investments. Just to, to, to clarify your point there, I mean, you're concerned that, you know, the, the largest firms have the, the deep pockets. They can invest in creating these tools in-house. They're, they're doing that today. The smaller firms, even, even the larger mid-tier firms don't have that kind of capital to build an off-the-shelf, fully digital AI-backed audit platform that you're concerned that some smaller firms might be just left out of the out of the the running. They might be, you know, not able to compete. Yes, it's very likely um, if if we don't have standard and have additional ways that that uh, there could be solution other that make make it more accessible and and can level the playing field better. The the PCOB announced uh, just this week, the same week we recorded this interview, the, uh, the creation of a technology working group to advise the board and to make recommendations. It includes a, a blockchain expert, the founders of XBRL, an economist, internal auditor, a data scientist. Talk about that group of experts. Uh, why did you seek input from outside the realm of CPA firms? And, and what are you hoping to learn from them? Yeah, I think... You know, since I've been at PCOB, I have seen the need for us to be really forward looking in terms of the, especially in the setting the data, uh, setting the standard, and then also uh, improved our oversight programs. And Chair Williams has been very supportive. And, um, and when, when we were thinking about, you know, this group, we wanted people who have hands-on experience. Uh, that's why we call it a working group. We intend to really do work. <laughs> um, and we assemble this really, um, I would say a world-class group of experts, uh, technical expert, and who not only understand the audit and technology space, but understand sort of the ecosystem. We can't do it like the way we did it in the past where we just have stakeholder represented um, because then we'll leave out some people and 
Uh, so instead, we want this technical group, and then we'll do inclusive outreach, which means that we will, you know, do reach out investors, reach out to farms, reach out to preparers that that wouldn't be limiting, that we can, you know, open to everybody to participate, and we can hear people's input. The board has two projects on its short and near-term agenda looking at data and technology. One is specific to data analysis, and then there's a uh, like a longer-term research project trying to understand where where else <laughs> the PCOB should change its standards and or what guidance is required. And I, I wonder if you could give some examples of just how PCOB audit standards might need to change to catch up or to set the stage for, for future auditing. Um, anything on the short list besides the, the data technology project you already have on the, on the docket? Yeah, it is not just updating one standard. You could do it that way, but you also need to think broadly. And that's, I think, what I'm hoping that this group will help us think about and, and make the recommendation to the board uh, and staff in terms of what standard setting uh, approach should be taken, in addition to what we're already doing, that the, uh, our uh, standard setting group is taking on, and, and, and that will continue. Another example that I have spoken about is we talk about the word original in our uh, auditing standard, and that assumes paper, uh, because in a digital world, what is original, right? So like, that's the kind of thing we we have to think about how to modernize. Uh, not to say that there will be no more paper at this point. So I think that will be something that we have to think about. And I know that that our, our uh, team, you know, in these agenda, you know, they're trying to think through these kind of things. I, I, you, you've mentioned a few a few examples of how these new technology might improve audit quality. And I just wonder if, if you could talk a little bit more about the, the promise of these changes and, and, and uh, you know, either through efficiency or um, looking at, at exter- outside data. How, what, what's the, the opportunities here for better audit quality long-term? Yeah. So that's ultimately the goal is to, you know, really drive audit quality um, when I think about quality in the space of quality, there's always a fundamental, there has to be a standard. And um, because without standard, there, there could be no quality. So I think that when you think about the audit firms in terms of how they conduct audit, uh, the, the more standardized it could be, the you know, there's a better likelihood of quality outcome. And I think technology uh, facilitate uh, that within, you know, the firms. And uh, because each firm have their own audit methodology. So they have, you know, if they use technology to, to really integrate these methodology, then there's better chance of compliance with the technology. So those are the thinking. And then, so at the base level, um, but if they use more advanced technology, for example, if if you know in assessing fraud risk, and th- and they could actually go out and look at you know 
more public data to to detect, kind of similar to, you know, some of the federal agencies are doing, like IRS or uh, even SEC. There's better chance of quality,、um, so that it's not just confined to what people have been doing. You know, the the approach could be the same, but but there's a lot more data out there that.、Um, That auto firms can leverage to to really improve,、uh, strengthen their procedures. That was Christina Ho, a member of the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board. That's it for today's episode. You can find up to the minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website once again is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's talking tax was produced by myself, Amanda Eichhorn, and David Schultz. Rachel Daigle is our editor. Our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm Amanda Eichhorn. Thanks for listening. An individual's race should not be used to help him or harm him in his life's endeavors. A pair of lawsuits has made its way to the Supreme Court, and the decision could dramatically change just who gets into which college. Bloom is effectively using the Asian community as pawns. Every lawsuit needs a villain to mask an anti-black and anti-Latino agenda. Does this demoralize me? No, it doesn't demoralize me. This season on Uncommon Law, we'll explore the arguments and the people driving this latest battle over affirmative action. Can the Constitution be used to remedy society's ills? I'm the only person in class who has to raise my hand and say, "Okay, well, actually, here's how this affects people that look like me." Does the Fourteenth Amendment's equal protection clause prohibit all discrimination based on race? You let somebody in because of their race, you're keeping somebody else out because of their race. There might have been two or three Latinos, including me, and so somehow that's too much. Somehow that goes too far. It's hard not to take that very personally. Coming October twenty fifth, part one of a three part series on affirmative action. What's being decided is whether black and brown people are going to be excluded in significant numbers. Only on Uncommon Law from Bloomberg Industry Group.